99.9 FM. You can always listen online at thepetro.com. This portion of the program proudly brought to you by K's. Whether it's lunch, dinner, drinks in the lounge, stop by K's. They're waiting for you. Folks, let's bring him on. He is our legal expert, Rhode Island's top attorney. And say good afternoon to our friend Tim Dodd. Good afternoon, Tim Dodd. Hi, John. Good afternoon to you. Tim, I uh, anxiously want to hear your thoughts on this Senate impeachment trial of President Trump. What are your thoughts so far? Uh, if you think you've heard enough uh, that would warrant removal. And right now, where do you where do things seem to stand? I, I just saw just during the one o'clock news, a reporter was saying that right now they're still unsure if they have enough votes to block whether or not that there would be witnesses. If there's a tie, they don't know where they go. But let's just start off with, so far, your thoughts on, um, on hearing this impeachment trial in the Senate. Well, myself, like I think most people in the country, we have heard enough. We have heard more than enough. We've heard it ad nauseum. Um, I don't think that there has been a sufficient quality and quantity of, of good evidence uh, not hearsay, but real evidence that would get in before a, a jury if this was a court trial uh, from um, the House managers to um, convict or otherwise remove the president from office. They're all over the place, John. The, the investigation was going to be a quid pro quo investigation. It was going to be a bribery investigation. It, it boiled down to two very nebulous concepts. Um, about abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Um, the evidence has shown that the president didn't obstruct Congress. The president largely um, asserted uh, executive privilege, and the House investigating committees, rather than challenging that invocation, just said, well, if you go to court, you're in, you're in uh, contempt of um, Congress. And the committees never went to court to say the president has invoked the privilege, it's improper in the circumstances. We want the court's intervention to force the president's hand. Um, so the House wanted it both ways. They wanted to be able to say the president's not cooperative, but they didn't want to avail themselves of the court system like the framers contemplated when there was a dispute between the branches of government. As far as what's happened on the Senate side, um, after you got done listening to days of Nadler and Schiff and, and company saying the same hollow things ad nauseum, I thought that the president's team did a much more lawyerly, much more incisive um, presentation as to why this conduct is not impeachable, why the standards haven't been met, why even the... Um, process that led to the impeachment of the House was faulty. The whole thing is faulty. It was investigated by the wrong committee. Um, there was never a full vote of the House before this committee undertook its investigation. The subpoenas that were not complied with in many cases were subpoenas which were um, um, improperly issued. They were faulty from a legal standpoint and in addition to the President's directive on executive privilege they're simply wrong. They, they, they were, they were. The, the house was putting the the cart before the horse in many circumstances. I think the best of the um, president's uh, legal team in terms of argument was Dershowitz. I thought he did a masterful job. It's interesting that most of the networks didn't run any portion of the Dershowitz um, presentation. I think Fox did. But if you watch any of the mainstream networks, they decided not to run any of Dershowitz or very small pieces of it. Dershowitz, I really think, nailed the notion that nothing that the president did here was impeachable. And if you go a little further, and uh, Professor Dershowitz did touch on it, let's assume, let's assume for the sake of discussion that Joe Biden was corrupt in his dealings. I'm not saying he was. Good, good faith folks can differ. But let's presume that he was involved in corrupt activities vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine, vis-a-vis -vis Verisma, and with his, his kid and uh, John Kerry's stepson. Does that mean they're inoculated, that they can't be investigated? If the president did say, 
I want you to look into this uh, situation to the president of Ukraine. I want you to look into this um, Joe Biden situation. Uh, it looks like it's a really dirty play that's been going on with his kid and with uh, looking to withhold the billion dollars unless the prosecutor's fi fired. Now, the, the House Democrats say that's an attempt to influence the election. Well, if there's a factual basis for a concern that... Uh, Vice President Biden acted corruptly while in office. Isn't that something that would be legitimate for the president to have inquired of? Correct. The, 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 the trade-off is that maybe it does help the president, but if that's not his goal, if he's got a legitimate concern, shouldn't he be able to explore it? That's right. I guess the, con the converse would be, well, if you have a corrupt political opponent during an election cycle, and you know that that corrupt opponent has been up to shenanigans in foreign countries, you can't investigate the corrupt person. The corrupt person would have a shield of protection if this thing comes out the way the House managers want it to, which is just absurd. Now, as far as the notion of having witnesses, uh, certainly there's folks who want to hear from John Bolton because they think he'll damage the president. Some of the president's supporters want a full-blown-out hearing to fully vindicate the president and or embarrass those who started this whole expedition in the first place. As we've said on your air before, anytime you have a trial, it never goes exactly how you think it's going to go. So if you start getting live witnesses, new information, the Democrats are going to be surprised by things that will not help them. The president will likewise probably be harmed by things that he didn't think would ever come out. People blurt things out. You can't plan it. You can't coach it. You can't, uh, you can't rehearse it. It just happens sometimes uh, unexpectedly. So I think that the president would be better to just wrap this thing up if the Senate can get the votes. John, it's just I'm here to talk about the law, not politics. But I look at a guy like Mitt Romney. He is in a safe seat. He just won election. He's in like the first year of a six-year term. Susan Collins is is in trouble because they're targeting her. So she's whipple waffling on what she's going to do. Romney has no concern if he votes in favor of uh, acquittal. There's, there's nothing for him to be worried about. So. He doesn't have that same concern as Murkowski does or that Collins does. And we know he doesn't like the president. He had that big speech when the president announced saying that, you know, the president was morally unfit to even run. Um, it's, it's inexplicable why he would take a position to hurt the country, to undermine the Constitution, and to help the Democrats, the same Democrats who lied about him consistently during his run for the presidency in 2012. That's right. He did nothing but lie about him. Yep. And now he's going to take actions which sort of fall into their camp. It, it's inexplicable. I mean, if he wants to be mad at Trump and throw a shot at Trump, okay. But shouldn't he really want to throw the shot politically at the Democrats, who probably cost him the presidency, by making false allegations about not paying taxes and driving around the country with his dog in a, in a, um, in a container on the roof, on the roof yeah. of the car. I mean, to me, that's where his anger should be, and that's where his um, desire for vengeance, if you will, should be. Not, not on going after the president, who did nothing but endorse this guy's run for the Senate. It's just astonishing how he's just um, unreliable and... I, 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 I'm not sure if it's feckless on his part. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Perhaps he's hoping that Trump goes down so then he can come in as the savior of the party in the late innings and say, Trump's gone. I'll run, in his, I'll run for the presidency as a, as a Republican. I've got a national network and try to pick up the sword after Trump goes down. I mean, is that his rationale? Could be. Um, I think he looks foolish. And hopefully uh, McConnell and crew can talk uh, Mitt out of the action that he's taking. Um, there is no case. There'll never be a case. It's just a colossal waste of time. And I think the Democrats have cut 
all the campaign commercials they can possibly cut, and yep. they have all the footage they can possibly use. There's no more juice to be squeezed out of this thing. No, and Tim, and three quick points, but uh, one thing I want to mention is ABC News right now is reporting they think the whole trial could wrap up this weekend. You have the Super Bowl on Sunday. You have the Iowa caucus on Monday. And then I'm just saying the big news of the day is the first case of the human-to-human coronavirus transmission in the U.S. has been confirmed to patient in Illinois. That will be, you, you have big blockbuster, plus you still don't even have the Kobe Bryant funeral yet. I believe there's enough out there that anyone that is concerned, like a Romney, there's going to be plenty of cover because there's going to be no short of news. I think it was very um, very strategic by Mitch McConnell. They say he, they believe he purposely leaked that he didn't have enough votes to block it because yesterday people like Sean Hannity and others, they went to the mat against Romney and the others saying you cannot cave on this. And McConnell didn't have to lift a finger and he let all the conservative outlets basically do all this heavy lifting. But Tim, what about this argument? Listen, the House has no one, we talked about this and at the time I, I, I remember, I believe, you and others were saying the House is rushing this. They should not be rushed. They were in such a hurry to try to impeach him, to come back now and start making all these demands for all these witnesses. They, then maybe they shouldn't have rushed through the impeachment in the House. And maybe they should have let Republicans call witnesses. Yeah, they that's right. And maybe they should have allowed more cross-examination so they'd have a fuller picture of what the true facts are versus a one-sided um, inquisition where the opposition had no opportunity in a yep. reasonable manner to um, do some exploring and some um, um, some questioning to get the full picture out. So you've got out of the house half the story. And the story never gets better than the hearsay upon hearsay upon hearsay that we've been dealing with. Um, it seems like now they're swinging wild. I mean, I was watching a little bit. You got Schiff up there now talking once again about bribery and all kinds of crazy stuff, which is not even part of the articles of impeachment. Um, they're going back to the Mueller probe. They're going back to all kinds of things. And they're really now not focusing on the two articles that they brought before the Senate. Yep. Because the two articles they brought before the Senate absolutely have not been proved. Zero. Right. On a scale of one to ten... They're probably at about a point zero three in terms of producing evidence that could result in conviction. It's yeah. absurd. Yeah, but and at the same time, same token, uh, Tim, you you believe if 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 they're smart, and McConnell, Republicans, Team Trump, if they have a, an opportunity to wrap this thing up this weekend and end it and put an end to it, um, they'd be certainly wise to do this as opposed to. And I I, I believe people like Bolton. You know, first they start with just like one witness in, but I think it's walking into a trap because then you don't you, you can't shut down the witnesses. And then and then this thing just takes on a life of its own. Well, you're, you're correct. Once you open Pandora's box, there's no shutting that the lid on that. It's going to go on and on and on with an uncertain result, uncertain witnesses, you, you, you get the quick kill as quickly as you can and you put this thing to bed as quickly as possible. I guess if the, um, if the institutional Democrat Party wants Joe Biden to be the candidate, I guess there is a motivation to keep this thing going to keep Bernie and Warren and right. Klobuchar trapped in the Senate, unable to campaign, uh, which helps um, Joe Biden's cause. And I'm sure that Bernie and Klobuchar and Warren are screaming at Chuck Schumer to end this thing because they want to get back out on the trail. Um, you know, I'm sure there's lots of pressure on, on the Democrat side to wrap this thing up um, for those very reasons. Um, and I don't think that Biden's looking like the greatest candidate. No, if anything, he's going to lose to him, sure, in Iowa to, to Bernie. Let's jump into Tim Dodd um, Sunday. Sunday was definitely a remarkable day because it will be one of those deaths that people you will remember. I mean, I remember where I was when I heard that JFK Jr.'s plane went down in uh, over uh, Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket. I remember hearing the news that Princess Diana had died, and I think... Kobe Bryant will be the same type of thing. Now we start to get more information about this helicopter and the crash. And 
as much as, you know, I guess, you know, no one's been buried yet, but a couple of things that have come out is, number one, uh, police were not even, I don't think law enforcement, that they were even flying in this dense, dense fog that uh, was happening within even the copter and others were delayed trying to land. But what we've also learned is the particular helicopter they were in did not have the proper warning sign that would set off when you were the way I think the last story that I read was they basically if they could have if the pilot of the helicopter could have lifted it 20 to 30 feet higher, they wouldn't have hit the terrain, but it didn't have the proper uh, technique and signal, I should say, a radar on it that that would have alerted him because in the dense fog, he, he lost his bearing and then realized they were that close to crashing into this mountain. That that's true, and I think the other component is the pilot of this helicopter was instrument rated, if you will, but he chose not to um, pilot this helicopter via instrument only. He attempted to do like JFK and fly visually, uh, looking for you know landmarks like highways or things of that nature. Um, had he chosen to fly via instruments. Um, I believe he would have had a better sense of where he was, what his altitude was, etc. Flying through dense fog uh, on a visual basis um, was negligent, uh, certainly negligent, potentially reckless, um, based upon the conditions which were clearly known by others, such as police departments. I think the local television stations, they all grounded their helicopters because of the dense fog. John, this case is going to wind up in terms of the claims now for all the people who died. Um, there'll be claims against the, um, the manufacturer of the helicopter, for sure. There's going to be claims against the company that rented out this helicopter. Um, I'm sure there's lots of insurance, but I'm sure not enough insurance potentially to cover you know, nine deaths. Um, I don't know yet how proactive Kobe was in making the decision that they should fly. I'm not sure if he had any role in choosing to fly or if it was simply the pilot who made the decision and Kobe went along. Um, I'm not sure Kobe's estate would have any liability vis-a-vis -vis the seven other people, or actually his daughter too. Uh, but there's a number of deep pockets in this case. So just like in the station fire, if you recall, beyond the obvious targets for the wrongful deaths, such as the bar, the owners of the real estate, um, the uh, beer company that had sponsored the event, and the band. Radio station, HJY. Yes, yeah. the radio station, the TV Promoting station. Promoting it. But the attorneys in that case wound up with, I don't, I don't know if it was 50 or 60 or 70 different defendants. Everyone who had any component interest in that building or anything to do with that event got sued and paid money. And I would expect that they will be searching far and wide to get as many defendants into this case for their role in it as possible. Um, so there's a maximum amount of money that can go for wrongful deaths. If Kobe's estate has a wrongful death claim, it's worth tens and tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Because as a 41-year-old man, he had endorsement potentials. He had you know team ownership interests. He had... Um, entertainment um, interest financially the guy was you could project that in the coming years he would earn literally hundreds of millions of dollars yes. which will exceed any likely insurance coverage any one defendant in this case would have so they're gonna have to come up with multiple defendants and get them all to throw in the tim a story that i read tim dodd and again folks good afternoon it's john DePietro speaking with attorney tim dodd is that a lot of times this type of company the pilots feel pressured by a VIP client because if they tell them no, that then they'll just go to someone else. But it would seem that regardless of if someone is saying to you, it kind of reminds me if you've seen the movie The Wolf of Wall Street where the character of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, he convinces the, 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 the guy that's going to be the captain of the boat to still go through even though they're supposed to get a storm. And the guy who's going to be the captain of the boat says, yeah, maybe a few broken dishes, a little bit of chop. We should be okay. And then, you know, they're rescued by a helicopter because the boat sinks and it's, they almost lose their life. But with this type of situation, it doesn't seem as though 
the pilot saying, you know what, the hell with it. I can do this. Sure, I'll get you to the game on time. Um, they shouldn't have the right to do that if, in fact, everyone else is grounded. And then if, if, if I agree, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get in this helicopter. I would think it's, I have every reason to believe that, that you have the proper equipment because we're flying and that you are going to get me from point A to point B safely. So it, it certainly sounds, even if the company says, well, you know, he probably shouldn't have, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, I, I don't, it should certainly not be a judgment call on whether or not someone is going to put a helicopter in the sky and then look what the end result was. Yes, I'm sure those passengers had no um, recognition of the danger they were facing. Uh, we've all gotten on planes when it's snowing when it's raining, when they're out there de-icing the plane before you take off, when it's foggy, and you simply assume, well, the pilot, these guys, they know what they're doing, and you trust the experts who are going to get you there that they're not going to expose you to undue dangers and undue risk. And I'm sure these folks who piled onto this helicopter had no sense that they were flying into something so treacherous. And, Tim, what about, now, it's early now, but... You do have these other people on the flight, and you had young players, and I believe some of their parents. What about, now, again, they're not going to do it now, but if, you know, going forward, uh, one of the families says that Kobe Bryant invited my uh, wife and daughter to accompany him in the helicopter to the game. We, we asked about the fog. He assured us it was safe, and we went in that helicopter because of the invitation of Kobe Bryant, who was also getting in it, could, could he potentially, his estate, face lawsuit from some of the passengers that they seemingly invited along? Well, yes. I, I presume they were all his guests. Yes. These were kids and their parents. Right. I'm sure, they were, I'm sure those folks were all happy to be on the Kobe gravy train, you know, going in style. Yeah, of course. Who wouldn't? Yeah. They, they were styling. Yeah. And I'm sure that they were Kobe's guests, and I'm sure they didn't pay their way. Um, the question will be, how proactive was Kobe in making the decision to go? If the pilot said, hey, Kobe, it's a little bit uh, foggy out there, could be dangerous, um, if you say we're going, we'll go. And Kobe says, yeah, let's go for it. Then certainly um, his estate would be more likely to be exposed financially. The question is, who are the witnesses left to be able to say these things? Yes. Yeah. There was a round table, and some of the parents didn't get on the helicopter, but they overheard Kobe hypothetically saying to the pilot, yeah, it's a little it's a little foggy, but let's go for it. Um, if, if he acknowledged the risk and assumed to take it on his behalf and on behalf of all the others, sure, his estate could be in play. Yeah. Um, Tim, I want to move to, um, and this is a story we've been covering, but it certainly seems to be heating up. I'm curious if you've been hearing anything at the courthouse. But on Friday, it became public that the Convention Center Authority sent a letter to the state police and asking them to investigate this audit that came down from the speaker's office. And there was speculation. The state police on Friday, Colonel Manny said, neither confirmed nor deny whether or not we're doing an investigation. I was told that they were already kind of kicking the tires on it. Um, Monday night, th this was highly unusual. A, a, supposedly, state police get tipped off that somebody's got a dumpster, 9 o'clock at night, and they're, they're throwing documents or they're throwing things, disposing of things in the dumpster. So the state police not only show up, detectives, they, they want to see the contents, what's in the dumpster. They go inside the building, and then detectives return the next day, and they're questioning some of the staff there. So we also learned through Channel 12's reporting that members of the Convention Center Authority, while they wouldn't disclose exactly what they said, they could confirm that they were contacted by the state police and they did where they were forthcoming with information to, to the state police. Um, if Monday night and then Tuesday when they returned to the state house, this whole flood mold of the JCL office, I mean, I, I think if it did anything, it certainly established... I don't think the state police needed to say, hey, we're investigating. I don't think they would have shown up otherwise. But um, I'd like to hear your thoughts, what maybe stands out to you legally about this case that maybe would lead you to believe that 
perhaps law enforcement is taking it a little more seriously than maybe initially some people thought? Well, certainly the state police jumped right on this when they heard that there were documents going into a dumpster. I think they would have jumped on it in any case, but this is such a high-profile situation um, with everyone who's a friend of whose and who's connected to this one and that one. I think if the state police didn't jump on it as they did, they would be faulted for um, not wanting to investigate you know, a powerful politician. So I think that they did the best thing for themselves from a from the position of optics and this a real investigation to get on it. The fact that they got on it so quickly um, means what it means. Does it mean they think it's serious? I don't know that. Does it mean that they were getting on it because it's a high-profile case? Certainly. Um, I think if the um, the folks who are disposing of documents were interested in destroying documents, they wouldn't have just thrown them lock, stock, and barrel into a dumpster. You would move them off site, you would put them through a shredder. Um, it didn't seem like there was any obvious attempt to destroy documents. Um, I don't think that anyone would be such an inept criminal if they thought they were going to destroy something to this chuck it in a dumpster at the state house in front of everybody. Um, so I'm not sure what that means. Uh, was there really mold all over these documents? Were they legible? Were they preservable? Could they have been cleaned off? Was there anything confidential or um, incriminating in there? I don't know. I, I, I presume the state police would have taken whatever was uh, salvageable. Um, I think the optics for... Um, the speaker's office don't look good from the perspective, I guess, that the cleaning company that came in to take care of this mold issue was another um, friend, I think, of um, Frank Martinaro and a friend of, I think, no, excuse me, not, not Martinaro, Joe Shikarchi and of the speaker. Um, there's, there's lots of um, um, companies that clean up spills and mold and water, etc. It seems unfortunate that they chose another friend to do this um, on a weekend, late at night. Uh, again, the optics are just terrible. Was there something criminal going on? I think it's too soon to, t to say. But for experienced politicians, they're just, um, whatever it is or it isn't, it seems like their actions are making it worse. They're right. thinking it through. Um, Tim, you remember, in, you may remember in 1984, I mean, that famous picture of the, the Rhode Island State Trooper standing guard in front of Providence City Hall. Now, regardless of then what the outcome was and so forth, I mean, that I still remember that photo, and I even, you know, put out that picture. That, that certainly showed that a tone had changed, and they reportedly had heard that CNC people um, had, were then shredding documents and so forth. What, what I was told was just the mere fact that the state police went there on Monday night and then went back on Tuesday and we're talking to people, it, it has the building shaking. I mean, it absolutely, sure. anyone that wanted to dismiss this with a wave of a hand like this is no big deal. Um, the fact they even went back on Tuesday certainly has caught people's attention that there may be more to this whole thing. Yes, and the, the further question is there's the issue of if you, if you take action against Demers. We're going to make life tough for you. We're going to do an audit and see what the heck's going on over there. Right? Um, is that extortion? It could be. It could be actionable extortion. It's not the norm. Normally, extortion is if you don't give me money, I'm going to go tell you know tell one of your family members about some scurrilous thing that you've done. Or if you don't give me money, I'm going to go tell the police that you robbed that bank last last yep. week. Yeah. Typically, it's extortion. Um, that uh, I won't act if you do something to give me money or goods or services. This is a little bit different. Um, the, the other thing is, if that statement was made or the suggestion was made, if you do something to demurs, we're going to make your life very difficult um, and we're going to do the audit of all audits on you and see what we can find. Who carried that message? Was it an underling or was it the speaker? If it's an underling, um, you know, I guess there'd be plausible deniability if somebody says, oh, no, these words were said to me 
by the speaker, well, that that's a problem. Yeah, if that's the case. That is the information and, that I have, by the way, and reported that it came well, directly from true. him. Yeah, and that and and actually, just to step back for a moment, um, it shows an element of, you know, uh, I'm not justifying anything, but normally people are a little more careful on that type of thing, and showed little bit of sloppiness that normally you'd have someone else kind of deliver that message because, you know, going into Operation Plutonome, the CNC people were always very adamant that no one was ever going to be able to step forward and say that they put money in Buddy CNC's hand, and no one ever did testify that they put money in his hand. It went through kind of an underling, and so there's been this speculation that one of the things they're angry about is that certainly was, if that happened, um, was a message that could have been delivered by someone else. And then you have, hey, you know, I didn't know he was going to do that. Well, and if it was a message directly from the speaker, and we don't know, there's lots of rumors out there, the next thing would be, will anyone else come forward and say, well, hey, I was subject to the same type of threats. Now, if there's somebody else out there who would say, I was subject to the same type of threatening conduct, that if I don't do this, X is going to happen, um, if there's another person or persons out there who are now coming forward, raising their hand and saying, I was subjected to this too, um, that becomes a huge problem. If this is a one-off situation um, um, and there's no criminal um, fallout from it, I think it's survivable. And again, I'm not here to talk politics. Right. If there are others who are going to come forward and say, he did it to me too, um, I think it... The, the problem expands exponentially, but we, we're not there yet. We're not. Tim Dodd, are you familiar with, uh, and I don't know the answer to this, but are you familiar with the movie Heat starring Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, about the guys out in Los Angeles? came out in the, in the late 90s. No, I'm, no. I never well, saw that it's a great, it's, it's great to see, but the point I mentioned is there's so much chatter on this whole thing. There's a very important part of the, um, of the film Heat where Robert De Niro is this very, very skilled criminal. And they take down banks and this whole thing. And he wants to find out whether or not they're under surveillance. So what he does is he gathers his crew and they go to this shipyard refinery and they're looking around and they're pointing out and that's an escape route, blah, blah, blah. Well, about an hour later, he is then perched up on a tower and he takes pictures of Pacino and the detectives investigating them. And he takes pictures of them and sees that they are at the spot and then realizes they do have his phones tapped and so forth. And it's very dramatic just because in the, in the movie, Al Pacino, the detective, realizes, you know what, they're staking out because they, they're trying to figure out, you know, what, is the, what are they looking to hit? Are they going to try to rob the refinery? Are they trying to do this? And then they realize, no, 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 they're just making us. They're, they're seeing, in fact, that we are in, investigating them. I've heard speculation that, and again, I, I'm not, but that on, they, the, the people involved at the state house said, let's... Let's test this, test this out a little bit. And they planted the state police and wanted to see how serious is this. So they're going to respond. And when they did respond, the state police detective could take the stand and say, I looked in the dumpster and I didn't see any documents in the dumpster. So if there are any missing documents because the office had to be vacated, it could have just been lost in the transition but certainly was not thrown out. Now, I don't want to get too far off here, but what, what do you think of that theory that someone floats it just to see if someone takes the bait, almost like a trap? Um, I think it's a great thing for a movie script. Yeah, right, but not... I think it's extremely dangerous and reckless to set up to see if you can create a false narrative okay. of letting the cops come in to see something and hide the real bad stuff somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, I haven't heard that theory. Um, it's it's fun to think about, but um, hopefully, you know, the powers that be would not be so foolhardy as to do something like that. Yeah, I, I said to the person that said that to me, I don't think they're that slick. I don't think we're at that level. Another thing I had heard was, I talked to someone Tuesday morning who was familiar and said uh, he was familiar with someone who was under investigation and got wind that someone might want some records and so he this was a guy who torched his restaurant and um and said you know oh the things you were looking for they must have been going in the fire now 
there's no way he, he took the chance that the fire department would show up there in 30 seconds and put out the fire. So there's no way the files were there, but it was plausi- plausible deniability that he, he didn't have them. So, again, I don't want to get too far off track, but someone was saying they, they don't believe that they would be disposing of files in, in the dumpster. Let's move on, Tim Dodd, to the, the Harvey Weinstein trial that is going on. Um, it's not because of this so much other news, not getting a lot of attention, uh, but just your thoughts on whether or not you feel that they're making the case that um, that uh, uh, against Harvey Weinstein and these allegations. Well, Har- Harvey Weinstein has very high high powered, uh, high profile defense counsel, um, and I it, it appears that their tactic in defending Harvey is very similar to the tactic that was utilized uh, by Bill Cosby's defense team. And essentially, as happens many times, it's to um, go after the credibility and the test the memory of the alleged victim. Um, remember, in the Cosby case, the victim and the corroborating women who came in and said, this happened to us too, they all claim to have been drugged by Bill Cosby. And while they were incapacitated from the drugs, that's when he took advantage of them, raped them, sexually assaulted them. And when they woke up and came to, they realized that, you know, um, their clothes were half off or that something had happened to them and they put two and two together and figured out what had occurred. So when you're incapacitated because you've been slipped drugs, there's no potential that you consented to the conduct. There is no consent, you're passed out. In this case with Harvey Weinstein, the victims were not drugged. He comes allegedly into the first individual, Annabella Sciara, and pushes her up against the wall and then pushes her up, I think, into a bed or on the floor and allegedly um, um, restrains her hands and her arms so that she can't uh, really fight back, and um, he rapes her. Uh, vaginally and thereafter uh, when he has completed his um, role in having this it's not a sexual encounter it's a rape um, he then allegedly um, performs oral sex on the victim um, Annabella Sciorra now she says after the rape she realized that he was now performing oral sex on her but she was too weak to fight back. Now, that creates a wide open area for cross-examination. How hard did you try to fight this guy off? So now now he's not holding your hands and arms down. He's moved his position and he's doing a different sexual act upon you. Couldn't you kick him? Couldn't you push away? Couldn't you get away? Couldn't you get up and just run? Couldn't you do something? And she says, no, I was too exhausted. I couldn't think straight. Now, that's her story, but it certainly does allow defense counsel to have quite a time testing her on whether she was there willingly and how much she was fighting back or letting Weinstein know that um, no meant no, and she really didn't want any of this to be taking place. The second thing happens, they brought in the first corroborating witness who gave a similar story about being pinned down on the bed being sexually violated um, and again the same deal would happen after the fact that there would be a period where Harvey would be performing oral sex on this second uh, victim and again the person says well I was I was too exhausted to fight back or to run away um, that that's a hard one for some people I'm sure to um, accept as the truth um, one would think you'd like you know, you would fight as hard as you can, kick, scream, scratch, spit, yell, holler, do anything to get away from that situation. The further problematic situation for the um, complaining victims in this case is, after the fact, they all had warm um, correspondence, warm personal interactions um, with Mr. Weinstein. They didn't cut off communications. Uh, very warm, loving, uh, positive, friendly communications in writing, live. 
There's no forensics here, John. They didn't go to the police. They didn't go to the hospital. They didn't complain about this for years until others started coming out, and then they came out with the same story. The prosecution has a psychiatrist who they used in Cosby's case, and they're using in this case, uh, to say that this delayed reporting phenomenon is common amongst victims because, you know, you've been assaulted by a high-profile wealthy guy, and you really don't know what to do, and you don't know how to process it. So either the jury is going to buy the psychiatrist's um, testimony, expert testimony, that this is a typical phenomenon with victims of rape and sexual assault, or the jury is going to find it all a bit um, difficult to accept that all these folks were um, raped and sexually assaulted and thereafter get all chummy with this guy again. And that's I'm using that to sort of make the point. I'm not suggesting they were chummy, but right. a friendly, friendly, cord, friendly, cordial, warm um, relationship. How do you do that after you've been raped in such a violent manner? It, it raises a fair question. You know, when this uh, thing first happened, um, Tim Dodd, I, I remember, I think it was actor George Clooney saying that Harvey Weinstein used to brag about some of his conquests. And at the time, George Clooney said, I, I didn't believe him. But now when I'm hearing some of this stuff, you know, I'm mortified. But I remember there's another story. And I don't remember. I'll have to go back and look through the stories. But there was one particular actress who was not that well known, but she was at a gathering and then someone at the gathering let it be known that Weinstein had boasted that she was one of his conquests and then after that that she started to then say oh you know well that's because he attacked me Tim Dodd that, that I think what we, we could be running into is what some people may have told themselves or told others when words start to leak about some of this stuff um, w w would be different than what happened that night. And it's kind of what you said and, and some of his defense team has kind of laid out is that, you know, so you're, so you're objecting to what's going on. Did you, as you say, scream? Did you run out of there? What did you do the next day? Why do you, you know, they were all, we are seeing a pattern where they're saying, well, I wanted to keep up good relations. And I want to be very clear that, that, in, that you know, I, I hope I don't have to say we're not condoning anything like that. But it just becomes dicier when you get inside the courtroom you're hearing both story sides of this. You, the person is being questioned, and sometimes what they initially told Ronan Farrow, told the press, is not holding up in court. Yeah, and, and certainly I, I agree with you. I'm not condoning any of this. I mean, it sounds like this guy is an absolute slime. It does, and I hope I, I hate to even have to even say something like that, but it no, just, it, it's, it's not, sometimes people don't pay attention, and then they're dumbfounded. When the jury comes back and finds maybe not not guilty on something like this, since there's been a movie industry, there's been the notion of the casting couch, right. and you know producers taking advantage and preying on young starlets looking to get into the business. Now, if it's done consensually, Harvey Weinstein's not saying these things didn't happen. He says, "Oh, sure, it happened, but it was consensual." So that becomes a he said, she said, because there are no forensics, there are no police reports, and we're delving back years and sometimes decades ago where folks are saying these things happened to me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 5 years ago. Um, the disturbing part is the pattern where it seems like this guy preys on women in the same manner over and over, and it seems like he's got the same M.O., and does the same things to them over and over, which does then give a cumulative sort of credibility to what they're all saying happened to them. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Folks, he is our uh, legal analyst, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, great job. We're going to see what happens with the impeachment. I, I think uh, all points, everything seems to point that it's going to wrap up this weekend, but we'll follow it, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. Bye. All right, folks, there it is again, attorney Tim Dodd. Right here on the John DePietro Show. This portion of our program is brought to you by K's. Remember, whether it's lunch, dinner, or drinks in the lounge, stop by K's. I highly recommend their steak sandwich. The lobster salad is fantastic. The pastrami is great. You have Faye behind the bar, Danny in the kitchen. A gift certificate always makes a great gift, regardless of the occasion. But you have John and David. They run such a great place right across from CVS, so there's plenty of parking on Cass Avenue. So whether it's Jessica... 
or Allison or Nicole or Kim, stop by K's and Danny in the kitchen, and they're waiting for you. All right, 766-1380, Where is the impeachment going to go? I don't know. I'll tell you the latest, though, with the Mattiello situation, why the speaker is in full panic right now. Up at the State House. We'll tell you about it next, right here on the John DePietro Show. Do you own and operate a small business and you rely on communicating with your employees while they're out in the field? Well, if you do, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T Mobile for Business. This is Sal with T Mobile for Business, and I encourage you to reach out to me today at 401 332 0000. This is the perfect time to make the switch to T Mobile for Business. Right now, we have unlimited plans with unlimited talk, text, and data. With no contract, great deals on iPhones and Samsungs, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Stop wasting money. Call me for a free consultation at 401-332-0000. Again, 401-332-0000. Stop wasting money with your current cell phone carrier. Call me today, Sal with T-Mobile for Business, 401-332-0000. Well, the heating season is definitely here. Remember, let J.K.L. Engineering design and install a natural gas, high-efficiency carrier infinity system. The energy efficient, they're quiet, more affordable than you think. If you're saying no gas, well, then no problem. Let J.K.L. Engineering design and install a high-efficiency infinity heat pump system, including ductless splits. Heats in the winter and it cools in the summer. These units are so efficient, it can reduce your oil bill. By as much as 90%. They have the highest rebates on the market. They also do new installation and replacement of high-efficiency gas boilers. JKL is a carrier factory authorized dealer. Licensed, by the way, in both Rhode Island and Massachusetts for 53 years. JKL's reputation, second to none. They're in first place. Especially for technical expertise and customer satisfaction. JKL is an approved national grid VPI installer. JKL is also a Navient certified factory dealer. Call JKL Engineering today. Sister replacement oil to gas for a heat pump. Estimates are free. Financing is available for both residential and commercial. Call JKL Engineering today. 401-351-7600. Now listen, if there's part of your home or your business that is a different temperature than another part of it, call JKL, 401-351-7600. Remember, estimates are free. Financing is available. Home or business, call JKL Engineering today, 401-351-7600. Now we still have a long way to go with winter. So let's just say during this recent cold stretch, your home or business was not working as efficiently as it could. Call JKL. Get it straightened out now. Now, remember, we don't know if in the next 30 days, right, we could have temperatures that suddenly are down into the teens or the single digits. And then many people say, you know, I should have called JKL Engineering when it was working fine. Now it suddenly gave out, you know, making strange sounds, not working properly. Call J.K.L. Engineering. They're the best. 401-351-7600. 401-351-7600. J.K.L. Engineering. I'm on the road and my ride is going strong. At Paul Massey Chevrolet, you get the lowest price guaranteed every day. With Rhode Island's only true one price. On our exciting lineup of Chevrolets. Paul Massey's one price plus true car equals our best price, guaranteed, and it's only at Paul Massey, Rhode Island's number one Chevrolet dealer. Lease a 2020 Equinox LS front-wheel drive for only $179 a month for 39 months with $29.88 due at signing. Buick GMC South is New England's number one Buick dealer and Rhode Island's number one GMC dealer. Get the lowest price anywhere. Paul Massey's one price plus true car equals our best price. Guaranteed. Lease a 2020 Terrain SLE front wheel drive for only $198 a month for 39 months with $24.88 due at signing. Great selection, top notch service, and the lowest one price only at Paul Massey. For your business, Rhode Island or Massachusetts, don't forget MEGA, 
Logistics. MEGA Logistics. 401-431-2300. MEGA. MEGA. MEGA Logistics. What can they help you with? I'm glad you asked. If you have freight, if you need freight, goods, third-party brokerage, warehousing, transportation, custom freight, supply chain management, routing, bill auditing, customer developing, proven track record, dealing with Fortune 500 companies, serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts. It's MEGA Logistics. Call them today, 401-431-2300, 401-431-2300 for MEGA Logistics. You are listening to the John DePietro Show on 99.9 FM and 1380 AM. News Talk WNRI. All right, folks, and we're back. Good afternoon, one and all. Here I am. It's Juan. It's John DePietro, uh, 766-1380, 766-1380. You can email me. It's john at dipietro.com. Providence Journal, they do have an editorial this morning. $50 million is a lot of money. And they write in business across America. $50 million is considered a lot of money. Even if some people in government think that take that big uh, pile seriously. But Rhode Island DOT, they just shrug it off. Something that I want to straighten out that I don't think the journal is wrong on, and I don't think it's highlighted enough. Now, Rhode Island DOT, and I know Peter Alvidi, and I respect Peter Alvidi, and he's a wild upgrade. But what it comes back to is where I disagree with the fact that DOT, if you remember, they're, they're $54 million short from where they, they said it was going to be and they can't make it up. What I come back to is... As much as Rhode Island DOT says, hey, listen, we made a mistake and we owe up to it and blah, 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 and there's nothing we can do. All right. But what I come back to is, would the projects have been done if the numbers were what they actually turn out to be? In other words, as much as now they step forward and say, I guess our estimates, because we've never done it before, we're off by $54 million. But we admitted it, and there's nothing we can do about it. But I say, that's why I say time out. Because one of the things that greenlighted this whole thing was they were projecting that they were going to do $70 million in revenue. So what greenlighted was the $70 million in revenue. So this business that after the fact saying, well, I guess we were wrong. We only did $16 million. That's not the point. And I'm not saying, you know, you nail somebody to a cross, but you can't deny that one of the selling points of the whole thing was that it was going to be 70 million. I would argue, I don't think it would have gotten approval for an island DOT if they had said it's only going to bring in 16 million. As far as the latest with Speaker Mattiello, you need to follow the website, depetro.com. He's John DP. John Dion is next. We're back tomorrow at 11. Excuse me. Remember, follow me on Facebook and Twitter at John DePietro Show. So we're going to get a news update at 2 o'clock. Go to the website. If you missed any part of the show, you can listen under podcast. It's all at uh, DePietro.com.